listening to the Pops on Hops podcast, where we listen to some pops, drink a little hops, and I get to hang out with my pop. I'm Abigail Hummel. And I'm Barry Hummel, and welcome to episode 15. Whoa. Right, we're getting a whole season in. I know. And today, we will be reviewing an album that Abigail selected yes. in the last episode. Abigail, do you want to tell us a little bit about the album? Yeah. So the album is called Consolers of the Lonely by the Rock Hunters. It was released in 2008, and it is their second album. They have three albums. Their third album was released in 2019 after an 11-year hiatus. Oh, wow. So I have more information about the album and the band. But first, would you like to tell us about the brewery we're at today? Absolutely. So when looking over the title, Consolers of the Lonely, I instantly thought of a place that I wanted to go. And that is Burial Beer Company in Asheville, North Carolina. Somber name. Yes. And uh, a raggedy kind of facility that made me think of the raggedy nature of this album. It's a really uh, cool place. I've been here a number of times in the past. Anytime I'm in Asheville, I try to get over here. They make fabulous beer, and it is a very cool place to hang out. It's a mostly an outdoor area. A couple of vehicles, empty vehicles, a lot of photo ops here, some big, great mural artwork. It's pretty country-ish. It is country-ish, yeah. which is kind of interesting given the but album. But like country gothic, which is how, which is sort of how I would describe this album yeah, too. Yeah, I thought. I thought this was a perfect place to do this for all those reasons. Yeah. You know, everything here, you know, when you look around the facility, is a little rough around the edges. And I felt like this album, a lot of the songs were rough around the edges. So uh, welcome to Burial Beer Company. I think this is the first time you've ever been here. It is. I have not been to Asheville since I have been of legal drinking age. So I have not been to any breweries in this area. Oh. So this is really exciting for me. (laughs) It's a fun trip. This is going to be a good trip for you. Yes, it is. Yes. For my untapped. We can't possibly squeeze enough episodes in while we're here no. to cover <laughs> the number of breweries. Just in this neighborhood, I think there are six. That's true. Uh, Asheville's a great beer town and also a great music town, mm-hmm. a great arts town. Definitely. And so this is a great place, I think, to hang out and do this. So with that in mind, I'm going to start with the first beer that uh, we've selected. Now, we obviously tried to find things that I hadn't had before, but we were also trying to find some names that sort of fit the theme of the album. This one's called Profit Maker, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, um. Profit Maker. It's a pale ale, an American pale ale. I'm going to read the descriptions because they uh, do a nice job with the descriptions that are kind of fun. There are things that cast great shadows, maybe an oracle under veil or the subjective truth that sought our ear. Whatever it be, it is now yours to decipher. And you shall carry these words onward. This batch is a new exposition of hopped, as always made with barley and oats and fermented with West Coast yeast. This time we double dry hopped with 2020 hand-selected mosaic and strata. Expect a more tropical selection of pineapple jujubes, tropical berries, skittles, and passion fruit sorbet. Oh my goodness. Based on that description, I have no earthly idea what I'll be drinking. They sound like Rock and Terz lyrics. <laughs> I was going to say, it's very, uh, it's very telling. And so let's give this one an initial sip. And I like that. Now, you know, normally I like IPAs over APAs mm-hmm. because I think the IPAs have stronger flavors. Then that holds here. This is a nice drinking beer. I get tropical I vibes, but I don't. I couldn't pick out specific fruits. No, I don't think. No, it definitely is the bright, acidic, tropical fruit taste, though. Yes, for sure. And it, you're right. It is a little hoppy, but it's not an intense hop flavor, no. and it also does not linger on the tongue very long. No. So, no. It's um, a mellow beer for a pale ale. Yeah. But again, American pale ales, as a rule, lean this way. 
So I like that one very much. We'll be giving that ratings here after a couple of songs. And, I like and it so far as well. Do you have any uh, specific details about the album you want to share with oh us? Oh boy, do I. Oh boy. So The Rockenters is a four-person band. Brendan Benson on vocals and guitar. Jack Lawrence on bass guitar. Patrick Keeler on drums. And maybe most famously, Jack White on vocals and guitar. And so all these people are extremely successful musicians who have been in many, many bands. I mean, this is like a band of musicians. Okay. And a lot of people have tried to call them a super group, but they were pretty adamant that that wasn't the point. They were just friends from the music scene and they were just doing something new. So do not call them a super group. I will. If I ever have (laughs) the chance to meet them, I will not throw that term out. It is very easy to fall down a rabbit hole on Wikipedia just by going to the Associated Acts section because they've all been in so many bands. I was going to say, Jack White notoriously has been in like Oh gosh. Yes. I personally think Jack White is a genius. So their first album was Broken Boy Soldiers. That was released in 2006. So pretty soon after we moved to Florida. And I remember listening to it in the first apartment we lived in. And we bought that album based on one song, which was the opening track, Steady As She Goes, which you heard on the Spectrum or Serious Disorder, you know, one of those Serious XM channels. channels. I used to play. Yes, I heard it on one of those two channels and absolutely thought it was an awesome song. I bought the album on the back of that one single. We did a lot of that after you got that Serious Radio. I just remember we had at least three, four albums that we purchased just on the back of one song that you heard on those radio channels. What was the one with the uh, the Whistlers? They were from Europe. Um, Peter Bjorn and John. Peter Bjorn and John. Young that was boy. Young Folks. Young, young Folks. Paolo Nutini um, is right. another example. New Shoes. New Shoes. New Shoes. Part of why I wanted to do this podcast is I don't get exposed to as much new music as I used to. And so when we got the Sirius Radio, that was for the first time in a long time where I had an outlet where I got to hear new singles. And in particular, that channel, The Spectrum, we've talked about how they usually pull artists that are influenced by or sound like legacy artists. And so it was a great way for me to find music that sounded like stuff that I knew I was going to like. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as I got that channel, I added to my CD collection quite a lot back then because of that. I absolutely did that. Yeah. And that was sort of good for me, too, because I was listening to stuff that was coming out as it was coming out, whereas for most of my childhood, I was listening to stuff that, <laughs> older right. stuff. Right, stuff in my CD rack. Right? Exactly. So they were pretty big in the UK. Only one of their singles from Broken Boy Soldiers, obviously, Study As She Goes, charted in the US, but three out of their four singles charted in the UK. Oh, wow. And that album, Broken Boy Soldiers, peaked at number two in the UK, but only at number seven in the US. In 2007, they were nominated for a Brit Award for an international breakthrough act. So they were pretty popular over in the UK. Interesting. So then their second album was Consolers of the Lonely. That's what we're reviewing today. That one, interestingly, uh, was nominated for a country music award for musical event of the year in the year 2009. That was a U.S. award? That was a U.S. award. Country music award? Okay. So the musical event of the year is awarded to a collaborative track released by two or more artists who do not regularly work together. Old Enough was the song that was nominated. Okay. And it was The Rock Hunters and Ricky Skaggs and Ashley Monroe. Consolers of the Lonely was also nominated for a Grammy Award in 2009 for Best Rock Album. Do you have any guesses as to what it might have lost to? From 2009? Well, an album that was released in 2008. The awards were in 2009. 
I don't have any idea. Viva La Vida or Death and All His Friends by Coldplay. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I kind of remember those Grammys then because I remember them playing that song kind mm-hmm. of in the round almost. And if I'm remembering right, Chris Martin oh. was sitting at a piano kind of in the middle and they kind of came out and all played around Ooh. him. It was a pretty good performance, if I'm remembering right. I didn't know that uh, the Consolers of the Lonely was even nominated. It's interesting to go back and, and think about like what it was up against that year. Well, not only that, the album was a little more prominent than we maybe remember right. it being, right? right? If it's got a Grammy nomination. And then they have a third album, which I mentioned earlier, that was released in 2019 after an 11-year hiatus. Have you heard it? I have heard songs from it. It is called Help Us, Stranger. And it's interesting because the album covers of both Broken Boy Soldiers and Consolers of the Lonely are kind of old-timey photograph style. Yeah, yeah. And this one is very digital. It's a walk sign, like when you cross the road, but instead of a walking man, it's just a thumbs up. Completely not like their other two album covers. They appear on their other two album covers, and this one has no people in it. Are the songs similar to what the sound of these first two albums were? I would say they're more similar to Broken Boy Soldier. Okay. Because... Consolers of the Lonely really is kind of, I think, kind of genre-defying. I mean, like, Broken Boy Soldiers is pretty clearly an alternative rock album, but this one has a lot of country elements. Yeah, it's got some interesting instrumentation. There's a little bit in there stuff that makes you think about mariachi bands or southwestern music. Bluegrassy. Bluegrassy songs. Yeah, it is. It's got a lot of elements to it. They all play well together. The album also, it sounds like they have rough starts and stops, like Mm. they were just playing around in the studio and they left a lot of that in, which makes it kind of fun. That's why I kind of described it as a raggedy sort of album. And funny thing about this album, I remember you buying it because you like Broken Boy Soldier so much. And when you assigned it to me, I, I had some knowledge of the band because of this and also knowledge of this album when i played it there were several songs that i went oh yeah i remember this so and i like the album very much so i don't know why i didn't kind of play it more or get into it when it was released i like this album very much and it's funny when i get down to naming my top three songs the three that i ended up picking were the three that i remembered the first time when i played it and went oh i remember that song interesting when i settled in on what did i pick for my top three it ended up being those three songs so maybe they just stuck in my brain from back then even. I'm excited to hear what they are. Yeah, because there's a lot of weird choices on this album you can make with favorite songs because they are all kind of different. So They are. There's a lot of variety. Well, why don't we get into it then? Why don't we uh, start with the first song of the album is not the titular track (laughs) because the album is called Consolers of the Lonely and the single is called (laughs) Consoler of the Lonely. What? (laughs) I think the title of the album is interesting because I find it seems to be a lot of broken relationships, broken people. They're very story specific or they get a sense of that. The lyrics can be a little obtuse, but most yeah. of the time they're telling a story. It usually involves people who are parting ways or have parted ways recently or something along those lines. And so I feel like the loneliness theme runs through the entire album because of that. There's different varieties of loneliness described in each of the songs is sort of what I think of this thematically. And so Consoler of the Lonely and an album called Consolers of the Lonely, I feel like the, all the songs are the Consolers of the lonely. Yes, so, each song is so, a consoler yes, of the lonely. Is an yes, that's very good, Dad. An individual consoler of the lonely. So, anyway, this is the clip that I picked now. These are tough songs, too, because a lot of great instrumentation in it. So, some of them have long openings. Some of them have left turns musically in the middle of them. Picking clips for this is a little Which, tricky. Which, as we know, is one of my favorite things. Yeah, for sure. And that's fun. It's a 
kind of reminiscent of the conversation we had a little bit, believe it or not, of the Tides of Band album where we said, oh, each of these songs could be kind of like, it's, oh, this is made up of three different songs. Right. So there are songs on here that are like that. This is a long album, by the way. It's almost an hour long, and it's uh, 14 tracks, yeah. I think. Yeah. And so they have room in a lot of these songs to do that sort of thing. So anyway, here's my clip from Consoler of the Lonely. I'm not a decent medium. My brain is So that is the uh, clip for Consoler of the Lonely. Uh, I like this song very much. Didn't make my top three. It's a great opening track. It mm-hmm. sets the tone of the album. We talked about the raggedy nature of a lot of the songs on here. I didn't play it at the very beginning. They're talking yeah. nonsense before they even part. start. And they're laughing. But they're talking studio talk. Like they said yes, something like, double let's track double that. track that. Yeah. And so they're just talking about what's going on in the studio. It has nothing to do with the song. But you it's know. fun. It's like a behind the scenes yeah, look th- into their process. I think that's why I liked it so much. The lyrics are kind of thematic of the lyrics, not just in the song, but of the whole album. You know, he's clearly broken up recently and he's just by himself he's bored to tears the line light bulbs are getting dim my interests are starting to wane like he's just fallen into a funk as a result of uh, this relationship that's ended but what a great rocker what a yeah. great tune i really like this one a lot yeah i do too i agree i think it's a great opening track i just think these guys are so talented i mean they really are just like true musicians they're just so good at what they do and that's why i think the talking at the beginning is so fun because they're just like chatting about their art you know they're chatting about their craft and i just think it's really fun i think yeah it's it's also not in my top three it's probably a middle of the road song for me i put it there too but i like every song on this album so much that 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 doesn't really say too much about how much i like it because i do like it very much well, maybe the fact that they're all such great musicians is why this is such a musically driven album. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the instrumentation's on point. Yeah. And when I say it's rough and raggedy, I'm not talking about the, the instrumentation is clear. Yeah. It's precise. And, and the raggedy edges are how they start and stop songs. They end weird. They, you know, they just they drop the instrument, it sounds like, sometimes. I mean, there's some really cool things in this album. Well, and it's interesting that you said earlier that it kind of sounds like they're just playing around in the studio. They might have been. They might have just been jamming, and they were still able to produce this beautiful, brilliant album. I think if I'm not... if I'm not remembering this incorrectly, that the first album was a result of that. that, that it's because the four possible. of them got together and were just jamming for fun and went, hey, we can actually do something here. And then they ended up putting together the Broken Boy Soldier album. Yeah. I, I think that's the story there. I don't remember that for sure. but And I just uh, think that's so cool. It's like they're just playing around and they, they come up with art, you know? Like right. They didn't even right. have to try. Exactly right. <laughs> have you ever heard of, I think it was Brian Eno's um, Obscure Strategies or something like that? He had a box of cards. That said something like, play like you're being chased by a tiger or something. And so when he had musicians in a studio that were kind of stuck, he would just 
rifle through his little deck of cards and pull out play like you're underwater oh wow and that's how he got musicians to try new things and get them out of their funk i didn't think brian eno could get any weirder but you just ramped it up a notch <laughs> look up obscure <laughs> strategies that might not be the that might not be the exact word but one of my other favorite podcasts omnibus did a whole episode on it so maybe we'll link to that in the show notes okay awesome any final thoughts on that song nope nothing right. more to say so let's move on then to track two. Track two, we've heard a snippet of before, I realized, because uh, you brought this up when we were talking about Canary in a Coal Mine by the police. And, uh, I did. You, you brought this particular song, in, and that's the song Salute Your Solution. So again, the rapid-fire lyrics, which we were talking about before when we were, uh, were comparing it to Canary in a Coal Mine, mm-hmm. it gets a lot into each line uh, in the song. Again, another weird relationship thing, the guy seems to be looking for somebody to help him wrap his head around life. It, it's a, huh. There's a line in here, it's, uh, and if there's one little answer to this complication, someone, somewhere, some help me settle what is on my mind. It just feels like he's looking for somebody to help him learn to compromise, learn to uh, be a better person. But again, he's you know he's, he's got so many he's trying to cram so many lyrics into each line sometimes it's hard to follow what he's saying you really have to read the lyrics along with the song to even make sense of what yeah. he's saying and then the lyrics can be a little bit obtuse or a little bit difficult to follow there's a lot of metaphor and a lot of that kind of stuff in this song so i didn't put this one it's probably dead to bottom third of the album for me because oh, wow. of that because of that i mean i love the tempo i love the pace of this but i have a hard time grasping on to the lyrics this is the song that made me choose this album <laughs> yeah I, well I, I figured because you played it before yeah because canary in a coal mine made me think of this instantly and so strongly and i hadn't sat down and listened to this album in such a long time and so i did and remembered how much I loved it. And I, I mean, I listened to this on repeat a lot in middle and high school. I mean, I listened to this album a lot. And it didn't like bring me back to that time or anything, but it just, I just remembered how much I loved it. And we are in North Carolina and one of the songs on this album is called Carolina Drama. We're going to get to that at the end. It's a fun one. And so (laughs) once I added it to my list, I thought I had to do it now while we're in Carolina, gotcha. North Carolina. Oh, that's why you picked it for so this adventure. So that's why I picked it for this adventure. trip. All and right. also because it's kind of, it feels Southern. It feels kind of country. It does feel like a Southern rock. I, I, uh, overall, when I listen to the album and try to put it together as a package, it makes me think of band, a little bit of the Rolling Stones. Oh, uh, interesting. But more the Black Crows, which are kind of derivative of the Rolling Stones, but a little rougher around the edges. Oh. So this this kind of made me think of those two bands. I'm not sure I've ever heard of the Black Crows. Black Crows are very good. There might be a Black Crows album on the list, and if there's not, okay. I will be sure and add one. Wonderful. So that brings me to one of the songs that I remembered from back when I played the album a few times back in the late 2000s, yes. right? And that is the song, You Don't Understand Me. You don't understand me But if the feeling was right You might comprehend me And why do you feel the need to tease me Why don't you turn it around 
So what's interesting about this one to me is that despite the fact that we have really a guitar-driven band, the guys you listed in the lineup, uh, this one's driven by a piano. Yes. So automatically, based on things we've talked about with previous albums, that piano should be a clue as to where we're heading on this conversation. And this is a slower tempo song that goes into a quicker tempo, so it kind of flirts back and forth. And so uh, this ended up being my favorite song on the album. It's a song about people being polarized, so it's a relationship song about two people that are in different camps, kind of, emotionally or whatever. And there's a big lack of communication as you go through the story and a lack of compromise, you know, kind of a refusal to meet people halfway in a relationship. But it's done in very interesting lyrics. Uh And so, you know, I played the passage about, um, you don't understand me, but if the feeling was right, you might comprehend me, I think is a genius lyric. Also in the same clip that I played, and there's always another point of view, a better way to do the things we do. And it's sort of like sit down and have a conversation let's figure out how to get through this thing together mm-hmm. and I, I really appreciated that sentiment in this song so yeah this is my favorite song on the album this is my second favorite song on the album I think it's wonderful I love the piano and if you don't mind I'd like to play my favorite part of the song Yeah, that's a really, I, I, again, it's part of why I like the song so much. And there, you talk about it going from a fast tempo to slow tempo. Yes. That's a great example of that. And when you hear that last little bit, was that the the uh, hook that somebody just played on the yeah. piano? Yeah, someone that, just sat down and... And that became the basis of the entire song, ultimately. And yeah. so they left that in there. But yeah, it also starts with a piano intro. So it's, it's very, very piano driven. So yeah, a beautifully done song. I just think that part really showcases all the different ways a piano can be used. I mean, there's so many different tempos of the piano in that one little clip slamming on the keys versus sort of plinking on the cle- on the yeah. keys and i i just think that's so fun i love it going from like the really sort of hard angry piano sound to just yes. a very gentle yes so As if yeah they've resolved the conflict oh yes indeed right indeed and brought it down to a happier place yeah, yeah really good song yeah love that one all right well we're three songs in and only one beer in so i think we should uh, wrap up the rating on our first one profit maker that's, if that's a good right idea. With you. yes i'm trying to pace myself better today than we've done on episodes uh, recently where we've gotten behind on the beer drinking. Oh, okay. That's not what I thought you meant. So it's warmed up a little bit. And as a result of that, I feel like the tropical vibes have come forward a little bit more. Again, I can't pick out a particular fruit, but um, I actually, now that it's warmed up a little bit, get more out of it. And so uh, I think I like it even more than I did the first time I had it. But I, it's in a 3.75 category for me. I liked it a lot. 
but you know I, I'm not gonna push that up to a four, and that's because you know I like intenser flavors, I think, yeah. as, which is where most of my fours and four and a quarters end up. So, uh, but a great drinking beer. Yeah, I, if I'm honest, I didn't really leave myself too much to try it as it warmed. Well, that means you liked it. I so. did like it. <laughs> um, I'm gonna give it a three point five. I don't mind not being able to pick out the specific tropical flavors. I don't mind that it's just tropical. I mean, it's not particularly different from a lot of other beers I've had. And so that's probably the only reason it it doesn't get a 3.75 from me. It just, it tastes like other stuff I've had, but I enjoyed the experience of drinking it very much. And so I'm going to give it a 3.5. Yeah, I would definitely have it again. I mean, so that means we're moving on to another American IPA called A Canvas of Fragmented Memoirs. And I feel like what? I chose I feel like I chose this one because I the album to me is a canvas of fragmented memoirs as well. So when I saw the beer Look name Look at us being so thematic. I know, we're insane. Let me read the description because um, they write great descriptions here. Uh, they may be excremental particles of times better spent. But they still define the brilliant interweaving of the finer days and the people who lifted them up. A modern communication vocalized through the lens of our well-missed friends at Cloudwater Brew Company, made with macaroon coconut and fresh lime zest, and whirlpooled with incognito, double dry hop with muteka, cashmere, sabra, and a dose of Idaho 7 cryo. That's a lot of hops. That's a lot of hops, and I'm not sure I pronounced them all correctly, but uh, if somebody in our dozens of listeners wants to send us a correction <laughs> on the pronunciation of the hops, please do. Please. Our, our email inbox is open. Cheers. It is open. Ooh. I like that one oh, a wow. lot. Oh, my goodness. That's a good beer. Oh, my And the coconut gosh. is way up front. And and the lime. I taste both of them very yeah, prominently. But right, yeah, but, I, but the coconut is the prominent one right out of the gate. And then as that wears off, the lime comes in the back oh, door that's a little bit. So that's good. really, really good. Oh no. I've never been much of a coconut in beer kind of gal, but that's really Yeah, good. yeah. You know what? I'm with you on that. I have a lot that have coconut in it. I don't really um, it doesn't excite me to see it. Yeah. Because they're they're all over the place, is inconsistent. A sweet stout, I think, is an appropriate place for coconut. I've had um, coconut in some sweet stouts where it's been very good. But it's tough in an IPA. In an IPA. This is an APA. But. And again, Swamphead, <laughs> again, my favorite hometown brewery, released a coconut cream pie sour IPA. And I was afraid to try it. I mean, I genuinely was scared to try yeah, it. That's interesting. You're right. It's tougher in a, in a beer that's going to have some, uh, some bitterness and some aftertaste. Mm-hmm. And this one... It doesn't have a long aftertaste. No, it's, it's there. No, you can definitely taste yeah, the hops. It, it is. It's very smooth and it's a clean taste. It doesn't it really mess up your palate. Which for is too amazing long. given the number of hops yes. that they use in yes. their beer. Yes, agreed. All right. Well, while we're sipping on that one, and uh, clearly we're going to go big or go home when we rate that one, but uh, let's go to the track four. This is the track old enough. When I was young, I So that was the track, Old Enough. 
And if you'll remember, this is the one that was nominated for that country music award for the best musical event of the year. Oh, it was the sing. Oh, yeah, old enough. It right, was the right, song right. Old It was enough. the song old enough, not the album itself. Correct. Okay, perfect. I really like this song. It's easy to follow the lyrics. The lyrics are very good. You're talking about the instrumentation. This one has a little fiddle playing in it, which I, I think is awesome. I love the fiddle in this. Probably I the, love the fiddle. I would argue that the fiddle is probably why they classified it as country. Potentially. Potentially. And the two artists that they collaborated with that allowed them to receive the nomination for that award, one of them is a bluegrass musician, and the other is a country singer-songwriter. So I assume that the fiddle came from the bluegrass musician. So that's the collaboration, which is why they got to do that, I yes, see. Yes, yes. Right, that was yes. the song where they had outside artists. Yes. I got it. So yeah, this is uh, my second favorite song on the album. This is my third favorite. Oh, wow. <laughs> Isn't that weird? And again, I did remember this one vaguely when I played the album the first time. I was like, oh yeah, I remember this song. I really did remember more of this album than I gave myself credit yeah, for. Yeah. I seem to have this vague recollection of really playing the heck out of Broken Boy Soldier. Then you got this album, and I didn't really latch on to it very much, and didn't play it a lot. Yeah. And then in retrospect, you go, well, why was that? I really like the album a lot. There is a line in here that I really, really like that I think sums up what the song is about. The only way you'll ever learn a thing is to admit that you know absolutely nothing. Yeah. If you come in thinking you know everything, you're never going to open yourself up to other possibilities. Mm -hmm. And in a country that's so polarized right now, I think that's very sad. But yeah. that's a great line. Because the last song and this one are my second and third favorites, I listen to them. You know, my favorite stretch on the album is You Don't Understand Me Going Into Old Enough. That, you know, that two-song stretch. Right, right. And I think... You know, listening to it as a as a teenager, it's sort of like a conversation between a teen and their parents. You don't understand me, mom and dad. And then, well, maybe when you're old enough. When yes. I was young, I thought I knew. Yeah, good you call. You probably think you know, too. That's a good call because that song really is. There is that kind of uh, age perspective yeah. written into the lyrics of old enough. Yeah. That really makes that song stick with me. You yeah. Know, it's sort of like live a little bit, learn a little bit before you think you know everything. Right, It's absolutely right. spot on. But I didn't make that connection between the two songs playing back to back like that. That's really smart. Well, it's because I listened to it a lot as a teen. So uh, did you defer to me any because of that? No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> Again, I identified more with You Don't Understand Me, as we know. It's my second favorite. That's funny. <laughs> All right. Now, the next one is a song I really, really like and was probably on the cusp of being in my top three at one time. And that's the song The Switch and The Spur. In the heat of the desert sun So that is the switch and the spur. And what I love about this is there's this kind of uh, southwestern U.S., almost Mexican quality to it, kind of mariachi sound yeah. to it. But the story really does take place in the desert. Yeah. And it's kind of a very defined story. It's, it seems to me it's a guy's escaped from prison or he's gotten away somehow and he's out all alone by his horse. And if I'm reading it right, he's been bitten by a snake. Or at least the <laughs> allegory is that he's been bitten by a snake. Yeah. It's not clear whether it was a real snake bite or that he was bitten by man or something like that. 
that because there's a whole lot of religious allegory toward the end of this. But it, snake or scorpion seems to have bitten him and poisoned him in some way. And it, it just may be that uh, because he was in prison that they're using sin as the snake uh. or the poison. I can't really... It doesn't matter. Uh-huh. It just it makes it for a cool discussion point. But there's really... It's a guy. He's on a horse. He starts to get disillusioned. It sounds like he just dies in the desert alone. It's kind of a story. But it's such a great great sound it does uh that horn section just really appeals to me yeah so i had it in the third slot for a long time because i kind of remembered this one also from listening to it and it was between this and the one i ultimately picked and i ended up going with the other one at the last minute uh, because i liked it thematically i thought it had more depth in the lyrics than just this kind of story my favorite part of this song you're talking about allegory i think part of this song sounds very fey or supernatural it sounds like he encounters this sort of supernatural being who gives him a warning and so I wanted to play that part of the song for you because that's my favorite part of this song any poor souls who trespass against us whether it be beast or man will suffer the bite or be stung dead on sight by those who inhabit this land for theirs is the power and this is their kingdom as sure as the sun does burn. So enter this path, but heed these four words. You shall never return. Any poor souls who trespass against us, whether it be beast or man. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about when I say that I can't tell if they're talking about... Is it religious allegory? Was he stung by sin? Yeah. And you're saying, well, oh, I think he comes across a buddy, or is he hallucinating? And I'm saying if he was actually stung by a snake or a scorpion as he's dying, that he's being confronted by visions of the afterlife or something like well, that. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of sounds like the desert is hell. The desert right? is beating him. He's losing to the desert. Sure, but like those who inhabit this land, theirs is their oh, power. Gotcha. Th- yes. Theirs is the power, and this is their kingdom. Right. Kind of sounds like devils in hell, right? Right. But so that's what snakes I mean. and it's scorpions. Snakes and scorpions right. may represent those entities in a physical sense because we're using the desert as allegory. It just feels very mythological to me. And yeah. It, it, it's very cool. I love that section. Yeah, it's a very well Musically and lyrically. And they, the part that we played, we played a little bit of them going into the, the second refrain of the same lyrics, but it's more melodic in the second version. You almost talked me into moving it up to three. <laughs> well, it's not in my top three. Because, so. it's, because, it's a, because of that complexity of those lyrics in the sort of allegory. Was he making more of it? He was bit by a snake, but he's making more of it in a religious sense yeah. that's, uh, you know, yeah. I'm a sinner. As, he's, as he's hallucinating from the venom. Exactly. Yeah, and that slowly, all makes And sense. slowly dying. So you can read it 50 different ways. And, course, and I really yes. I really like that. It's a pretty simple story when you first read it, you know. And then you get to that last section that you played with the religious kind of allegory in it, and that notches up the complexity to it. To mm-hmm. me, you know? So yeah, I really like that song a lot. That takes us to track six. I have a rough time with track six. And that's the song, Hold Up.
So I played that one to the end so you can hear kind of one of the raggedy ends. We were talking about that in the songs earlier about how they kind Just of, the guitar strum at the end. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's some noise over top of it and some applause, what sounds like in the back. I mean, it's a, the, lyrically, this is a great song. It tells a really precise story, right? There's three main verses, right? He's describing himself in the first verse as if he's in some sort of prison cell of loneliness, I assume. We get to the second verse and it seems like he meets somebody. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, that's the gist of the second verse. So by the third verse, this person seems to has broken into a cell uh-huh. as if to free him. So the song moves in three parts, right? And each verse advances the story a little bit, but this seems to be overall a, a happy song by the end of the song. So I do like the song, but there's something about that repeated, repeatedly yelling hold up that wears me out a little bit, I think. That's fair. And it's loud and it's frequent. Anyway, there's something about that that um, I find a little bit too repetitive, maybe. I don't know. It just kind of wears me out by the end of the song, which is kind of why I ultimately didn't particularly care for the song. It's in the bottom for me. It's kind of the only lyrics that are not muddied in the song. I mean, the instrumentation is so loud compared to the vocals in this song. Yeah, which makes it hard to hear that great story in the verse, right? It's hard to hear all the vocals, but it is not hard to hear him saying, hold up over right, and over and right, over. So right. if you were to listen to the song without printing out the lyrics and reading them, it's possible that the only lyric you might know in the song is hold up. And right. I can totally see how that could get yeah, <laughs> irritating. Yeah, and, and the other after a while. Are, the other lyrics and the other story that they're telling is really good. We're very cleverly written and it kind of gets lost in the mix. And well, a lot of fast paced lyrics well, as well. Right. So again, you can't latch on to them. Right. If you don't know what they're saying, you can't really grasp. Right. You can't lock onto something to get into what they're saying. And so you kind of lose that part of the story. So Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a rocker. I mean, the music is so loud and it all sort of blends together. Sort of wall of soundish in a way. So I listened to this on the way up to get you because I knew once you got in the car, I was going to listen to the album anyway. Right. And mom said, but that sounds like heavy metal. And I think this was the track she was talking about. Oh, interesting. I didn't really get that kind of thing. I just, I thought it was an up-tempo kind of raggedy rock song, but... You know, it's not dissimilar in the fact that all the instruments play at the same time and it's hard to parse which instrument is making which sound. That's not a bad point, Mama Darbs. Yeah, Mama Darbs for the win. (laughs) so that takes us to track seven i think we should do track seven which is the halfway point of the album and review our second beer and that's the track top yourself how you gonna rock yourself to sleep when i give up my midnight creep girl how you gonna get that deep when your daddy ain't around here to do it to you? Yeah, how you gonna do it alone? And I don't pick up my phone. I love to give a dog a phone, but I'm not gonna stick about to help you. Yeah. All right, Abigail, how you gonna top yourself? I, I can't hear anything except BDSM in this song. I'm sorry. I, I, I cannot possibly think of another interpretation for those words. I just interpret it as a guy who was saying, all right, we've broken up and I'm out of here. How are you going to top yourself? And by top yourself is, you know, how are you going to rock yourself to sleep when I give up my midnight creep, girl? My midnight creep. How are you going to get it that deep? When your daddy ain't around here to do it to you. I just think he's just saying mm. the sex is the sex is gone. So how are you gonna top yourself? 
That's what I'm saying. But you're saying BDSM. BDSM. No, I don't. I don't. I don't think it's that far. That far. But anyway, I do think it's about a guy who's just taunting somebody with the fact that the sex is over. Yeah. What are you going to do now? Yes. Is sort of the theme of the song. Exactly. But in a kind of a southern rock twang, it's got a real southern rock kind of flavor to it. Maybe a Creedence Clearwater Revival kind of sound in there a little bit. That twangy guitar kind of thing. Yeah. There's probably some other groups that I'm not thinking of, like uh, Georgia Satellites and that, those kinds of groups that would fall into that a little bit. So again, when you talk about musical diversity in this album, it's absolutely correct. I mentioned the Black Crows and the Stones, and and but each individual song, you can almost go, ooh, that sounds a little bit like this band, or that yeah. sounds a little bit like that band, yeah. because there is musical diversity on it. And so this one, there's some bands that have that twangy kind of guitar in them that you would make you think about that, yeah. where they kind of played on that. But lyrically, it's very dark. Yeah, I like this song. It's probably in my bottom third but i don't dislike it at all it's a fun song musically yes i agree with you and and again i it's another different kind of loneliness yeah so it plays into that theme of the consolers of the lonely. right 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 so with that in mind i think we got to finish up this really delicious beer i'm excited to rate this one it's going to be a high one so just to remind everybody we are drinking a canvas of fragmented memoirs they call it an american ipa specifically that had coconut and lime in it and the co- as it's warmed up those flavors have popped even more yes and i'm going to give this one a very high rating i'm going with a four on this one i am also going with a four which is a super high rating for you compared to my four yes yeah yes for for, for you with an ipa think about that especially with an ipa it's just really delicious i mean for me the lingering flavor is the coconut instead of the hoppiness which i obviously really enjoy i definitely get a little bite of the lime it's not a terminal bite that's a new term It's more of a medial bite (laughs) (laughs) terminal bite is something we couldn't add to the flavor profile uh, after the last episode but i'm still working on that because i love the terminal bite yeah i agree with you the lime kind of pops up after the coconut is worn off and it's funny they classify this as an american ipa but not a new england IPA, but it drinks very much like a hazy or a New England IPA. It is a hazy beer. It, yes, it looks very cloudy. There's definitely fruit juice or fruit involved, and, mm-hmm. and you got five hops, and there's not a lot of lingering hops aftertaste on it, so I have to imagine it, it drinks more like a hazy IPA. Yeah, I'm interested in what they think the difference is between an American IPA versus an American pale ale, an, an APA versus an American IPA. If I recall correctly, both of the beers we've had so far have been at least partially double dry hopped. And as we know, the word double freaks me out. But these have both been very tasty. So they are double dry hopping with a deft hand here at Burial Beer Company. (laughs) All right. Well, moving on to the beer selection. Yes, please enlighten me. What's next? So our next one uh, here at Burial Beer Company is a beer called... A space for sacrilege. Again, I'm I'm going with the titles over the beer, so you know, to match the theme of the album. Sounds like where that guy was in uh in the desert, huh? Yes, exactly. He was in a space for sacrilege. That's correct. So this is a sour, but it's a rye barrel aged dark sour with lemon zest, anise, and licorice root. Oh boy. Oh my. Heavens. Oh boy. And here's the description: bellied up for killer times. Another bastardized beer cocktail. A distorted take on the glory of Cesaric. This imbibe continues to live deeply within our hearts as the beacon back to our New Orleans life. This big sour ale began as a quadruple in our tap room, Brunello oh, Fortis. 
It then aged in Willet's wine barrels for a couple of years before it being racked to stainless with fresh lemon zest, anise, and licorice. Oh, no. The spices do their part to add the requisite Peychaud's character. We needed to send this beer into the cocktail stratosphere. Serve this over ice or spritz or simply sip slow. Oh, no. Cool down with the Jaeger slushy chocolate anise bark. And lemon spiced souffle. I think that's the other things they serve in the bar, right? Interesting. Jaeger slushy, chocolate anise bark, or a spiced lemon souffle. I happen to be a fan of Jaeger, but I don't really like black licorice. Um, maybe while we're packing the equipment up, we'll have to see what a Jaeger slushy is all about. They don't have that today. Oh. They have creamsicle and they have a, a frosé. What's a frosé? Frozen rosé. Oh, frosé. Oh my god. <laughs> What happened to just beer? Back in my day. You sound like your dad. Oh, do I? I don't think dad would drink a space for sacrilege. So initial thoughts. Oh, I like it. This is not as bad as it smells. (laughs) Oh, well, see, I don't have... Okay, so I'm off the hook on worry about that. It smells like straight booze and licorice. Liquor and licorice, if you will. And I do not like the smell. However... I really like the taste. It tastes wonderful. It's, and I have no it's smell. It's real so. sour. It's, yeah, it's, it's sour. Well, it's not a tart one. That's a sour one. If you were to smell it, you would think it would taste like syrupy sweet, but it does not at all. And so actually I happen to really like the taste of it. And it's not particularly boozy, even though it was aged in rye barrels, right? Rye whiskey barrels. It's not. And, and uh, that's a fabulous And the licorice beer. is not really overwhelming. I don't overwhelming. taste licorice at all, really. I, don't I mean, I get that. a little bit from the aroma, I'm sure, but it's not overwhelming. I happen to like this a lot. Yeah, that's a good one. So back to the music portion. Oh, we're sipping wow. on that. I forgot we were doing that. Oh, yeah, I was so engrossed in the beer. Well, let's do the other half. So we're moving on to track eight. And track eight is a song called Many Shades of Black. Go ahead. Go ahead. Smash it on the floor. Take whatever's left and take it with you out the door. See if I cry, see if I shed a single sorry tear. I can't say that it's been that great. No, in fact, it's been a wasted worry year. They're going to pick their really long clip there to get through a couple of different things that I wanted to point out. This is um, my third favorite song on the album. This is one I clearly remembered when I played the album back, you know, in the late 2000s, like we were talking about earlier. And I really, really like this song. That Many Shades of Black thing is very interesting to me because it seems like two people that are having a conflict, as always in this album. You know, who's right, who's wrong? There's so many shades of black. Are they both in the right? Are they both in the wrong? Again, not meeting halfway, not having a real conversation right. about it. And the line that really, more than anything, points it out, 
everybody sees and everyone agrees that you and I are wrong and it's been that way too long. It's yeah. just like, this has got to end because we're just not going to make it. Right. And everybody else has known that and we're dragging this on. Right. So yeah, it's a, I really, really like this song. But the normal phrase, right, is, is many shades of gray. I mean, yes. gray area, right? He's saying many shades of black. So ev- everything is toxic, no matter what. Everything is toxic. Absolutely. There's no right. There's there's yes. only wrong. Every yes. Everything is wrong here in this relationship. That's right. That, that, that's In fact, so when I was in elementary school, something happened in the cafeteria and you know, a couple of kids were climbing around in front of me in the lunch line and we all got pulled to the office. I was rounded up yeah. because I was in the proximity. Right? Yeah. So we all go to the to the uh, principal's office, which, you know, I went to a Catholic elementary school, so that was Sister Brigetta. Uh-oh, Sister Brigetta. Yes, and all she wanted me to do was say that I was in the wrong, you know, that I and I was like, no, I'm not, uh, I didn't do anything. I was just standing there, you know. I was not involved in this, whatever you think I was involved in. And uh, she said, you know what, Mr. Hummel? There's a black and there's a white, but there's always a gray. <laughs> and it was such a weird thing. And it became a running gag. And, and we've name-checked a couple of these people before. So Chris Caldwell thought that was the funniest thing ever when I told him what she said. And he used to say that to me all the time. We would be having a conversation about something and debating some topic. And he'd go, well, you realize, Mr. Hummel, there's a black and a white and there's always a gray. So years later, when Mom and I got married, Uncle Steve was in charge of the toast. <gasps> And I kid you not, he got up in front of everybody and his entire toast was, there's a black, there's a white, and there's always a gray. <laughs> and he that was ch- it. That was it. That was the whole toast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did mom have any clue what was going on? Well, I think she was um, unclear on what had just happened. <laughs> it was brief. It wasn't even of course, the context yes. of the story. It was the entire uh, toast. That's really funny. And so um, when you said that about many shades of gray, it just it took me back to, that's really to funny. Bizarre, <laughs> bizarre memories of my past. But uh, I don't think that's why I like the song. No. You know, I, I like the song because it's got a bluesy kind of riff to it a little bit and good horn section and a really smart lyric. So, yeah, I like this one a lot. My third favorite track on the album. Mm-hmm. It's not in my top three. It's probably in my top half, maybe middle-ish. Good song. Enjoy it for all the reasons you've said and more. Well, then I guess we'll move on to the next track. Yes. Somebody being efficient today over there. Uh, so the next track is track number nine. Five on the five. Yeah, I like this song. I, this one goes all over the place musically. It's really hard to pick a clip because this is the one I think toward the end of it, it just stops and moves into a very slow tempo piece <laughs> yeah. at the end. The changes are abrupt. And yet as a song, it all works together. You know, that opening kind of screaming guitar at the beginning, uh, you know, I had some reaction to that sort of the way I did to the Hold On song. But that's not in the entire song. It's like it opens the track. And then if that had been carried through the whole song, it might have exhausted me like that other song. This is my favorite song on the album. Get out of here. I will not. 
I really like it. What is your interpretation of what five on the five means? I read these lyrics and I just I really couldn't tell you what the five on the five part meant. I didn't have a real interpretation of that. I read somewhere that it was supposed to be five fingers on the five gear. So he's driving his car. Oh, yeah, like four on he the has floor. His, he has his hand on the gear shift. You ever heard the term four on the floor, which is a, another car reference? No, I haven't. Yeah, that's interesting. I never, I didn't make that connection, yeah. but that's probably absolutely what you're talking about. He's, he's doing it on his own. He's, he's going off on a solo drive he can't deal with people anymore yeah, yeah i can see that <laughs> he's just in the car driving around yeah i see i couldn't i didn't grab that but now that you say that yeah i i just think this song is such a hard rocker and it's really fun i love the musical shifts i just think it's really fun and as you could see i was dancing while you were playing it <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. you were bouncing around there people were staring from the bar <laughs> you um, know what i don't mind that well we're sitting on the stage so we're, we're the, the entertainment yeah, for we're the, the afternoon entertainment for the afternoon <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's smart about that. I'm looking over the lyrics now, and that fits in there. If you think of that, like he's just taken off, like they made these decisions, and he's a little freaked out by it. Excellent thought on that. I like that. Oh, I didn't come up with that. I read it somewhere. Oh, well, you shouldn't have given that away. Okay, moving on to the next song, a song called Attention. Another big hard rocker. I like this one a lot. The story is fairly simple to me in that there's a guy who clearly he's a woman has got his attention and that vice lock grip on me is, you know, kind of recanted there in the chorus. To me, this is the one where the guitar sounds like a siren. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah, called yeah. attention, you know. It's yes, like right. siren, the siren is to, uh, yeah. to get your attention. I agree with you on that. Yeah, sure. I. this is probably number four for me. I really, really, really like this song a lot. Yeah, it's interesting. On this particular album, my favorite four, because I'm throwing in the spur. The switch and the, the spur. The switch and the spur in there. Were less in this real hard rock edge and more where there was some different mu- instrumentation to it. The horn section in the, the switch and the spur, the piano in You Don't, Don't Understand, Understand Me. Me. Those kinds of elements. When you got into these up-tempo hard rock kind of songs, I like them, but that's the basic sound of the album. And so those all, all those songs sound pretty basic to me in the huh. context of this album. That makes sense. So the piano thing is like, ooh, that's interesting. And the horns from the other, ooh, that's kind of fun. You know, the fiddle. Yeah. You know, if you look at every song that I picked, there was something like that yeah. in the song that made it a little bit diverse compared to these, you know, the last two in particular, uh, really hard-edged rock songs, which I, I don't have a problem with. Right, of course. But as I'm going through an album looking for my favorite songs, it's, I seem to, to lean towards the things that had a little bit of a difference to them. Well, and that's why Graceland was your least favorite song on the Paul Simon album we reviewed. Exactly. Because it just didn't have that extra something. It didn't have the extra something that right. seemed to be the theme of the album. Right. It was the one that was an outlier. Okay. Should we rate this beer? I think we should. Are we down to the last well, three songs? See. Four songs? Yeah, we have 11, 12, 13, and 14. We can rate this one now? 
Yeah, We're drinking this one now. fast, so we better rate we better it now. Okay, so we are rating our third selection of the day, which is called A Space for Sacrilege. Again, describing it like we did before, it's an, a barrel-aged sour that was in rye barrels. Personally, I'm very happy to be given a dedicated space for sacrilege. I think we need more spaces for sacrilege in this country. I like this beer very much. I'm going to give this one a four and a quarter. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to give it a four. I like it very much. The only flavor I get when I drink it is... Well, I get a little bit of the boozy rye character. Subtle. I do not get any licorice. I don't either. But when I smell it... You do. It's all licorice. How about that? Yeah, I'm going to give it a 4.0. I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, I'm giving that a 4.25. I'm looking at the average ratings at 3.85, so we're high compared to other people yeah, on this one. Yeah, I wonder why. I don't care. Maybe because we like sours. <laughs> because we're, remember, we're rating in a category that we particularly yes, like. yeah. And if you're not a sour beer drinker, maybe you don't have the same kind of reaction to that. Yeah. But I got to tell you, that's, uh, that's a really tasty beer. That's a dang good beer. You're basing that really on a few subtle flavors, to be honest with you. Right? It's sour yeah. and a little bit fruity. I, uh, I guess the citrusy uh, lemon, right? Lemon? Yeah, but it, like the sour is not a lemon sour. It's a beer sour. The overwhelming taste of that when you drink it is it's sour. sour. Yes. But if it was just sour, I don't know that I would like it as much as I do. So I'm tasting something there. It's delicious and I really like this. So that takes us to our final selection of beer for the day. Indeed. And that is of a fading season, which is a mead, a traditional mead. And again, I'll read the description because they're beautiful and why not? Somebody penned this the paper and so I feel like I should share it. Our first experiment with dry mead formulated to carry the philosophy of a rustic saison, as though a conceptual farm had an unexpected excess of honey and fermented it. Oregon carrot and coriander honeys were blended with house-made mineral water it was infused with coriander seeds, grains of paradise, pink peppercorns, saz hops, and crystal hops. It was fully attenuated with Saison ale yeast and then infused with orange zest and carbonated for sparkling effervescence. Terroir-driven notes of barks, roots, herbs, and flowers provide rustic complexity atop a baseline of orange marmalade on honey buns. Wow, that made it sound very tantalizing. I love when they say Oregon carrot and coriander honeys because it took me a while to realize that a lot of honeys were based on the flower that was pollinated. I didn't catch that for a long time. And that's probably because when you go to, when you get your traditional honey at the grocery store, there's only a couple of varieties, right? Clover. Clover's one. But I went to a mead place in uh, Bluffton, South Carolina, Bead Town, and I got a... uh, cotton flower oh interesting uh mead to drink that i've been sitting on for a while so uh yeah at some point we're gonna have to crank that over up where i live in gainesville a lot of local honey is orange blossom honey yeah that's a pretty traditional florida honey orange blossom yeah i've also had a lot of wildflower honey wow this is interesting it is dry that's very interesting it's weird I mean, not in a bad way, but it's it's definitely weird. It's definitely effervescent. Oh, it's definitely effervescent. I taste the orange. I get a lot of bitterness and not just dryness, not just like lack of sweetness, but I get a lot of bitterness. And I'm wondering if that's from the coriander seeds that they put in it. I don't it. know. I don't get a ton of bitterness. Oh, I do. I get mostly dry. I'm not sure I like it. I like it. You might need to read that laundry list of flavors again, because I'm not sure what I am tasting. It's not carrot. It's certainly not carrot. So we have four more tracks. This is the longest album you've ever provided me. So far. So far. So we're moving on to track number 11. Pull this blanket off. Pull this blanket off of me. 
Now, you know I love a good piano song. Yes, you do. It's my least favorite on the album. Yeah, I, yes, mine as well. I just feel like it's a long album. You got 14 tracks. Just eliminate You, you could have got away with it. <laughs> do you feel like that? Just eliminate it? Yeah. It's also short, right? It's like it's, it's a little short. short thing. It doesn't really do anything it's, for me or no, for the album, no, really. No, that's what I was saying. It doesn't do anything for the album. And so it became my least favorite because it just felt like, eh, it's not a necessary track. Not a bad track. It reminds me more than anything else on here of the Rolling Stones. Oh, interesting. So okay. I looked around. I, there was a bunch of songs I was thinking of, Angie, Virginia. But the one I thought it was the closest to was Wild Horses. Graceless So again, it's got a little bit of piano in it like the other one. The uh, vocals are very similar, but there were... two or three different stone songs i could have put in to yeah to share that with i it. thought that sounded very similar yeah that was a good that was a good pick love that you're pulling in bonus songs to compare to dad that's normally a me thing i trained at the abigail hummel school <laughs> trying to sound intelligent about music <laughs> by pulling in songs that it made me think of well i hear pronounce you graduated way, <laughs> oh by the way we're not done i have a master's thesis coming up soon. oh boy Ooh. i'm very excited to hear it so that takes me to the next track which is uh, track 12 rich kid blues So I had to play a very long clip there for to get the kind of difference of the musical styles because there is an interesting change in the music. I like the song very much. Mm-hmm. The first part, the real loud verse that they sing, reminds me of The Who. I didn't put any oh. songs. So again, looking at what were the various different musical styles and influences that may have come to play on this album, this was the one that I was thinking of things like Rain Over Me. 
uh, from The Who and things like that with that Roger Daltrey kind of over-the-top vocal performance. So, yeah, I like this song a lot. I really like this song. It's up there. It's either five or six, probably. I think it's very tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> For sure. Got shoes and money and good friends, but I have the rich kid blues. Yes. No, I agree with you. It's very silly. I love that it starts acoustically. Gets yes. very yes. hard rock and then ends acoustically. Yes. I think that's very fun. It was hard to pick a clip for this one because of that, because yes. there was a wide variety of musical styles within the song. You know, yes. it was hard to like narrow down, but I really wanted to pull the clip I pulled because I wanted to make that reference to Roger Daltrey and The Who. Yeah. Uh, which is why I selected that piece. But you're right. It starts very mellow. It ends very mellow. It's a very fun song in its construction. Yes, it's, it is. There's a lot of movements to this particular song. And but. I love the transition from the acoustic opening into the more up-tempo rockin' middle. I just think that's a really cool, because they kind of speed up gradually to go into it, and yes. it's, it's very exciting. I mean, it, it like builds the anticipation for what's coming next. Tempo change is a theme of this album. Yes, and one of my favorite musical kind of tricks so it makes sense. That There's a lot of songs on this album where they change, they shift gears yeah. tempo-wise mid-song. Or yes. I, that's why the lo- songs tend to be a little longer. It's also why the album tends to be long. You know, you think of rock opera kind of vibe on that section I played the, the, the first half ah, of Ah, yes, right? absolutely. And again, that's a Who thing, you know, things like Tommy and Quadrophenia have that kind of vibe to them. And, and that was sort of what that was, made me think of the Who. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting because it has sort of like a low musicality vocal almost a a side or a monologue in the middle. Yeah, right, right, right. Which is what you played. Part of the clip, yes, in the the clip you played. played. So yes, that's totally like an opera. So now we're going to move on to track 13, and that is These Stones Will Shout. Well, you impressed me so completely I start obsessing to hear from you Whatever you do, you do sweetly it takes a lot to not take from you You're not secure enough to tell me Your first impression of all these clouds So you'll be tricky enough to compel me To take the lead and to speak out loud Yeah Speak to me and don't speak softly Talk to me and let me know Grab hold of my shoulder and tell me Grab hold and do not let go Grab hold and do not let go So I really, really like this song. Again, it's acoustically driven. And uh, if I was going to rank it, it'd probably be like number five. It's definitely in the top half of the album, it, you know, because it's acoustically driven. It falls in that window for me of, well, this one seems a little odd. But now think about it. I've listed five songs with five different musical styles. Mm-hmm. It's almost like I picked everything that's got a different musical style <laughs> and lumped everything else in the bottom half of the album. That weird. Yeah. Like all the up-tempo hard rock stuff just sounded, sa- not samey to me, but yeah. and <laughs> everything, everything that sounded slightly 
different stylistically. I went, ooh, I like, I like. But, but that, all of a sudden, I like half or more of the album, right? Right. But the harder rock songs are what you usually go for. I mean, in the in the Heim album, for example, your favorite song was the hardest rocking song on the album. But because I could hear the, I could hear instrumentation that I couldn't hear in, like on that Heim song, it was, oh, I can actually hear the guitar and the bass uh, here. Mm-hmm, yeah. And in a lot and of the other stuff, I couldn't. So again, yeah. I'm going with the instrumentation yeah. being the key. I really like this song. I like the the way it plays. I like the hook of it. And I love that it's acoustically driven. If you had asked me, if we had done this podcast when I was in high school, this would have been my favorite song on the album. You know, I still love this song. It's either four or five. Could swap around with Rich Could Lose. I just think it's like a pure, pretty love song to start off, but then it really picks up and gets a little harder. And I just think that's so interesting. I love the lyrics. I think they're beautiful. I love the acoustic start and the guitar noodling is really pretty. I just just love this song a lot. Yeah, no, really, really, really good song. It's it's thematically a little different, right? It's the happiest song on the album. It's a love song. Song, but it's also maybe not the healthiest because he he says he starts obsessing to hear from this person. Yeah, no, there's not a healthy song on the no. album, <laughs> but this is the happiest song on the album. And so yeah. again, as you're listening to it and you're getting into the theme of it and the edge of it, and then this pops up, it's like, whoa, that seems a little weird. But then yeah. then you listen to it more, and then when you read the lyrics and you get more of a sense of what the song's really about, it's just another in that theme of how do we console only right. souls, right? And I just, it's a really really good song. Yeah, I love it too. Which takes me to the final track on the album. And this the reason, song is 11 and, minutes? I, I don't know if it's 14 11. minutes? It's a long It's a very song. long song. But it's the song that you claim now is why we're doing it in Carolina because it's yes. called Carolina Drama. It was a junk house in South Carolina held a boy the age of 10 Along with his older brother Billy and their mother and her boyfriend was a triple loser with some blue tattoos that were given to him when he was young and a drunk temper that was easy to lose but thank god he didn't own a gun billy woke up in the back of his truck took a minute to open his eyes he took a peep into the back of the house and found himself a big surprise he didn't see his brother, but there was his mother with a red-headed head in her hands. While the boyfriend had his gloves wrapped around an old priest trying to choke the man. So this is basically a story song about a love triangle and a murder and burying a body. It's just your standard Carolina And drama. bastard children. Bastard children. Maybe the priest is involved. Maybe the milkman's involved. I'm not sure by the end of it we really know the answer. He we kinda, don't. He says at the beginning of the song, <laughs> this is my favorite line in the song, so many other people try to tell the tale, not one of them knows the end. Well, the line before that is, <laughs> I'm not sure if there's a point to the story, but I'm going to tell it again. Right, but it, but he says no one knows till the end, and then he gets to the end, and I'm still not sure I know the story because there's this weird milkman reference at the very, very end. It's like, wait, that wasn't where this was heading, right? I kept thinking it was the priest. He does say if you must know the truth about the tale, go and ask the milkman. Right, that's what I'm saying. 
Well, does the milkman just know the answer, or is the milkman the answer? I think the milkman was witness to the entire thing and knows everything. You think he knows the answer? I think he knows the He's answer. not the father of the bastard child. He could be the father of the bastard child, He, but he, that yeah, means he also knows the answer. So right? by the end, well, that's what I'm saying. By the end, I wasn't sure I did or didn't know the answer. And by the way, I just want to point out, it is South Carolina, so don't blame North Carolina. Yes, I'm sorry. This does take place in South Carolina. I know it's, where's the murder take? i got to find it. Hold on. He says... Um, Billy got up enough courage, took it up, and grabbed the first blunt thing he could find. It was a cold glass bottle of milk that got delivered every morning at nine. By when the hell is this going presumably on? Presumably by the milkman. This still goes on? What South Carolina? Would they just get a telegraph? Did they just hear Lincoln was assassinated? What's going on in South Carolina? They still have milkman. <laughs> it's two thousand and eight. Nine when they did this album, That's right? That's true. 2008, yeah. You know, Milkmen. But I love the song. Anyway. <laughs> but it just is such a weird thing because that doesn't happen anymore. No. But I love that he murdered the guy with the milk bottle. <laughs> the preacher, right? Did he the murder preacher. the preacher? Yeah, he murdered the or preacher. Or the stepdad. <laughs> well, the mom was trying to choke the preacher, right? Yeah. So anyway, what this made me think of was, so there's like 50 characters in here. <laughs> yeah. You need a scorecard to keep track of them. It's like Game of Thrones. And it reminded me of another song that I like very much called Tweeter and the Monkey Man. Tweeter and the Monkey Man were hard up for cash. They stayed up all night selling cocaine. So Abigail, that song is from the Traveling Wilburys. That was Bob. Oh, that was Bob Dylan singing a super group. A super group, Bob which famously Dylan. the Rock and Church are not. Correct. <laughs> but the Traveling Wilburys make no qualms about it. They were super group. <laughs> and Bob Dylan wrote They're that the song. They're the quintessential super group. Do you know why he wrote that song? I do not have any idea. I've never heard that song before. So the story goes that everybody in the early to mid-80s was starting to compare Bruce Springsteen to Bob Dylan. Springsteen had a couple of albums that were kind of folky, like Nebraska, for example, which was him by himself with an acoustic guitar. And he was also from New Jersey. Both of them are from New Jersey. And, so, and good songwriting. And good songwriting. But, you know, Springsteen has all those songs, those story songs about, you know, people, life on the streets, driving on the highway. And so Dylan kind of said, Bruce Springsteen is not Bob Dylan. So this was Bob Dylan's attempt to write a Bruce Springsteen oh, song. Oh, wow. And it's got 85 characters and they're driving Highway 99 and the walls came down. You know, it's so that was Dylan's Springsteen song. Oh, wow. Which they did on the Traveling Wilburys album. So it's Dylan's version of Back in the USSR. Dylan's version of Back in the USSR. Yeah, didn't the Beatles write Back in the USSR specifically to spoof off California Girls? Oh, because I see. Because everyone was well, saying the Beach Boys were the Beatles, and the Beatles were like, no, the Beach Boys are not the Beatles. Yeah, so then yeah. they wrote a Beach Boys song. Right, right, right. Well, I was thinking more like when you said Back in the USSR, I was thinking Born in the USA, so I got really confused. <laughs> No, like, no, 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 famously yeah. very different vibes. Yeah, yeah, no, this was Dylan's inside joke of writing a Springsteen song. But what I thought about it was they list 85 characters, everybody's in a love triangle, they're all trying to beat each other up and kill That's each other. So and, funny. and it just made me think of the Carolina drama, New Jersey, New Jersey drama. Well, look at you. Yes, I would like to officially award you your degree from the Abigail Hummel School of 
speaking intelligently about music. Thank you so very much. <laughs> so what did you think of that song? I don't know that uh, did we get any vibes from you on that? Yeah, it's not really a song, really. I like it very much. I think it's a really interesting story. It, it's completely different from anything else on the album. In fact, it's completely different from anything else I've ever heard. I'm not sure I've ever heard a story set to music like that. You're not listening to enough Traveling Woodberries. <laughs> Yeah, evidently not. It's kind of a fun way to end the album. Oh, absolutely. I think it's very fun. And I think the story is hilarious. There's so much you could pull out of that. I mean, just you could analyze the lyrics, I'm sure, for a week. So overall, I got to tell you, I was uh, very pleasantly surprised by the album. Don't have any idea why I didn't play it more. I had the disc because we bought it on disc back in the disc buying days. Well, and you would have bought it because that was before I had money of my own. Yeah, (laughs) no, I ordered it because we liked the other one so much. We bought it and I, I just have this recollection of kind of putting it in and thinking, oh, that's not like the other album. It's not. And then uh, kind of shelving it. I don't know why. Because in retrospect, it's a very, very good album. And I liked it very much. You have to sort of be in a certain mood to listen to it, I think. It's not just something you can put on just to have on music. It's really an album that is worth sitting down, really paying attention to. It will hold your attention because it's so musically diverse and so interesting musically. It's worth just really kind of chewing on. And so I think for that reason, I don't listen to it as much as I should because it's something you really have to be sort of mentally present to really appreciate. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Anyway, great album. Thanks for that. You're very welcome. Let's rate this last beer and then maybe there's an album review on your future. <gasps> well, hopefully, unless this is our last episode. <laughs> uh, We're quitting after 15. It's, it's a lot of work. Sorry, fans. A lot of work, a lot of traveling, <laughs> a lot of money involved. A lot of drinking. So I think overall, I'm, I was flirting between a 3.75 and a 4 on this one. But I'm going to go with a 3.75 because, as you know, I like things a little sweeter. And so this is a dry one. That's not a knock on it. It's a very good drinking beer. I'm going to give that one a 3.75. I liked it very much. And as a mead goes, it's very, very interesting. Yeah, meads are interesting because I think of meads as sort of a cross between a beer and a wine. And some of them definitely have more beer qualities. I think this one happens to be very wine-like. It's dry. Yeah. It's it's very much like a white wine if it just had something added to it. And again, we I don't know what I'm tasting. It's strange. I'm fascinated by it. Well, it might be the coriander. It might be. Well, there's pink peppercorn. It might be that. Oh, yeah, pink peppercorn. Be, yeah, it's, it's weird, but I don't dislike it. It's just difficult for me to sort of It's really not what you would expect when they say, understand hey, here's what a, here, I'm drinking. When they say, here's a mead. Right, right. You go, well, this is not really a mead, but they kind of say that in their description anyway all of that to say i'm gonna give it a 3.25 3.25 3.25 i would drink it again it's a little weird for me i think to have regularly like it would not be my go-to but i would drink it again and it certainly gave us a lot to talk about so yeah anyway (laughs) 3.25 and that has been recorded so it is canon it is canon (laughs) well no not until we log it on untapped which we have to do for hours on it. We haven't mentioned in a while that Untapped does not sponsor this podcast. And it's somebody at this table. Me. Thinks that they should. Untapped, please sponsor us. We name drop you a lot. Yeah, and we, <laughs> u- and we use it to death. I'm going to be at no si- way. I mean, 6,200 this weekend. That's too many. Uh, too many. <laughs> too many. But that's over eight years, we keep saying. Yeah. Like, that's like that's a badge of honor. <laughs> I'm going to drink beer for eight years. Which brings us to Abigail's favorite part of the podcast. It's my turn to pick an album. 
And so I'm going to give you another one from my college era. I'm going to give you a Billy Joel album. Okay. But, but I, I stewed over this for a long time, and I finally settled in on the Nylon Curtain. The Nylon Curtain. Not my entry point for Billy Joel, but my entry point for Billy Joel as a live artist. Interesting. I know not a whole lot about Billy Joel. I know the, I know the big songs, of course. My favorite song that I've heard is All for Lena, which is on Glass Houses. Okay. But I other than that, I I don't okay. I don't really know anything. Well, I know an nothing one. about this album actually. This is an interesting album and I debated between this and The Stranger, which is my other favorite of his, but I I settled on this one because um, I think it's probably his the one with his the best writing, the most interesting diversity of music. Okay. It's a complicated album and I think you're going to like it. So we'll do that uh, next time on Pops on Hops. Great. Looking forward to it. You can find us on all social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, at Pops on Hops Pod, or you can email us at popsonhopspod at gmail.com. Wherever you're listening to this, there should be a link in the show notes to leave us a voicemail if that's something that interests you. And if you're interested as well, you can visit our website, popsonhopspod.com, where we have lots of bonus behind the scenes photos and extra videos and links to things that uh, we can't include in our show notes because we have run out of space. And on behalf of Hops and Pops, we'll see you next time. I'm not sure if there's a point to the podcast, but we're going to record it again. So many people listen to the episodes. Not one of them wants it to end. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Milkman. I don't dislike that kind of thing. There's a REM song that I really like that you know about where they uh, repeat that wow, 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 wow kind of guitar oh. that I actually like. It sounds like a pulse running through leave. the song. Yeah, the song Leave. And but No, I'm telling you to leave. Okay. I'm out of here. <laughs>